Happy New Year, you beautiful humans. Welcome to Healing in Doses, a place for bite-sized nuggets of healing magic provided one spoonful at a time. Welcome to 2020, friends. A new year, a new decade, and a new beginning. It's your host, Siobhan, owner of Sweet Immunity, your resident astrologer, herbalist, and all things magical. The sky is the limit for all of us in this upcoming decade. So I implore each and every one of you to let the spirit move you into the new phase of your existence. To help chart your course a little bit better, I am bringing you a special episode and dose of content to help you further understand what is happening in the grand scheme of all cosmic things. This episode is actually inspired by a friend of mine whose chart I recently reviewed. We talked houses, planets, signs, aspects, and all that good stuff. And in that, it was important for me to kick this year off with a nice, clear overview of exactly what that all means. My goal is for everyone to become their own astrologer, their own herbalist, their own healer. So to do my part, this episode will be dedicated to helping you understand what we mean in the cosmic language. 2020 is slated as one of the biggest astrological years to date as so many transits, transits that have been in place, mind you, for almost 37 years. So for those of you who happen to be the ages of 34, 35, 36, and 37, you're not making this shit up. It has been a whirlwind and we have all been encapsulated in this time, no matter what age you are. In any case, I want you all to know what the hell I'm talking about when I speak about transits and houses and signs and impacts and energies. So before we even get into the transits of 2020, let's talk about what it all means. So when I say a planet is in the 10th house or why you should check your south node or your north node or what planets are in the seventh, I want you to know why all of that matters. Now, Something new for 2020 is I will have these special episodes kind of integrated with the times. So Valentine's Day, we're definitely going to talk about love and relationships in your chart. In the spring, we'll talk about healing and health and fitness and how you can find kind of what's your own fitness identity or what may be astrologically hindering you from losing those stubborn 10 pounds. I don't know. But we'll talk about those major themes throughout the year. However, we got to get to the basics first. Now, there are countless elements to your birth chart, but when we break it all down, all, I mean all the way down, for me, there are five primary elements, and they're kind of based on those core aspects of a story. So the who, the what, the how, the where, the why, and even the when. And so what do those represent in astrology? Well, when I say the who, I'm talking about you, who you are, in this blueprint. The what, well, that's the planets. Each planet represents a particular set of actions. The what, the actual verbs of what's going on in your cosmic blueprint. The signs speak to the how. What's the energetic style of that action? The houses represent the where. Which parts of your external environment, of your lifestyle, will be impacted by these planets, by these signs? Where will you see this activity happen the most? The aspects represent the why. So the aspects can show us how these planets relate to each other to further develop and sometimes complicate your story or enhance it. And lastly, transits. Transits are your when. Transits are where I kind of isolate many of of our episodes, right? And so do many astrologers. They talk about the transits of a given week, the transits of a given month. When we get into the January 2020 episode, where we're talking about the parts of January and what the transits mean, right? So the transits have more to do with time. When a planet 
transits or moves in this particular area of the world, what can potentially happen? So they're marked by months and they're marked by a certain level of sequences. So I've placed those in the categories of the when. A lot of astrologers you'll hear talk about when a planet was transiting, what to what and what happened, right? And so the transits can give you a bit of insight into not only what's going on today, but what may happen in the future or which is what I love to do, which is to go back into the past and read a particular event from the past to see what was happening at that time. So again, the transits for me at least equal the win. Now, some of you astro babies might look at the chart a little differently, but this formula is what works for me and what's provided me and my clients the most accuracy as well as cosmic joy. So this episode, just as a disclaimer, will be a long one. Feel free to listen to my voice for the whole stretch or use the timestamps in the description to navigate to a particular section or sections you want a bit more insight on. Remember, this is just an overview for the newbies out there and maybe an alternate perspective or um, kind of a rehash for some of the cosmic savants out there who are listening as well. So grab your birth chart, Look at it, scan it, be confused if you are, and use it as a guide in following and understanding the layers of your cosmic blueprint. Let me tell you, I freaking love houses, okay? I love the houses. I love the houses. I love the houses. When you talk about, especially when we talk about like January 2020 and someone says uh, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction is transiting this house, that automatically lets you know which part of your life is about to be changed, jacked up, enhanced, whatever, uh, based on that particular transit, right? So even if you don't understand the, the, the what and, and what the planet is, is representing, the how in which that planet will showcase what it represents, you can at least know which parts of your life you can, you can see or, or have in some indication of where some activity will occur. So even if you don't really understand the kinds of activity, the houses will at least give you a sense of like where and what you should be mindful of and the people, places, and situations that, are, that might be enhanced by any kind of transit or any kind of aspect hitting your birth chart. So the houses are are pretty much the bomb. The houses indicate which part, again, of your life that'll be impacted by the governing bodies of that house or the houses that don't have any bodies, right? There is a such thing as an empty house, and that is actually not a negative thing. Empty houses just don't, are the houses in your chart that have no planets. And what that means is that's, in the journey of your life, right? In this book, in this story that you are creating for yourself and that uh, you were born into, that particular house is not going to be adversely affected or predominantly affected. It's, it's gonna just exist, right? Um, and what will be important with that house that doesn't have a planet in it is to know what sign governs that house and where that sign's ruling planet is. Because knowing where that sign's ruling planet is will give you at least some indication of what will happen in that particular house, right? So, uh, and we'll get to we'll get to examples of what that looks like in a second. I don't want to do that. Now I don't want to derail it because um, because we'll talk about that. But um, empty houses matter just the same. Pla- houses that have planets in them essentially are the spotlight areas of your birth chart. They are the planets where if you have life lessons to learn, if you have things to create, if you have lives to impact, the houses with planets in it will show you this is actually where your life will dominate. The dominant aspects of your life uh, will typically fall within these places. The empty houses just say these are the secondary characters of your house, right? They are the supporting actors and actresses of your birth chart. They exist. They just simply help to anchor what's happening in the houses that actually have planets in them, right? Every house has a sign. And the layers of that sign will be governed by 
this is when your birth time is really important because it'll be governed by where your ascendant sits or where your rising sign. And that's one thing I noticed I didn't talk about in the um, in the last segment of planetary energy. So the ascendant, the sign of house one, the ascendant or your rising sign indicates where the, the angle that your the sun was making as it as it as it traveled along the horizon. It's really beautiful kind of description of it. Um, what I like to, if I go back to the book example, which I use in talking to you about kind of um, the planets and, and even the zodiac signs, right? Or the, or the planets rather. The rising sign is kind of like the title of the book. The cover of the book represents your sun sign. All the planets in, all the planets in between are represented by the chapters in that book. But that title, that cover art, that's your rising sign. That's the shit that people see when they first meet you. And that is governed by the sign that sits in house one, right? Uh, and it, it's governed, and it governs the appearance of you. It governs um, your, your makeup, what people see in you the first time they meet you, regardless of your sun sign. So think about your sun sign as, again, the vessel in which everything exists. Your rising sign is that too. So let's say, for example, you are a Pisces by sun, but an Aries by rising sign. Pisceans are very mystical and uh, dreamy and intuitive. If you have a rising sign that's an Aries and you happen to be a Pisces, you're real aggressive about your damn visions and your mystery you are super uber passionate about your um about your love of uh what is beneath the surface your sensitivities your emotions are very pronounced your um the way in which people see you they're not going to see that dreamy shit when they first meet you they'll see it later in how you make decisions. You make bold decisions that are based on the best case scenario for humanity. The best case scenario for humanity part is the Piscean part. The bold action and taking the lead on projects at work that demonstrate this bold collective energy, that's that Aries rising sign. So it's also part of the reason why people get uh, other people's sun signs incorrect because what you, where you meet that person is also not the same as their, their driving motivators for every other thing that they would do. And so that's a part of this house conversation as well because house one rules the ascendant and the ascendant rules house one. And so the exact setup, aka the planets and signs uh, that govern each house is determined by your birth time. So it's really important to know that. Houses speak to the external matters that define your interactions with other people. For instance, the 11th house focuses on friendships, groups, affiliations, networking. The 7th house focuses on partnerships like marriage, business relationships, contracts you may sign. The 5th house speaks to children, childhood, dating, romance, potential, and and play. Uh, Now, the 1st house, which we've already talked about, uh, which the ascendant governs, speaks to the self, self self-image how one is defined in the world in comparison to other people. For example, if you have a Venus in Aries, right? And we talked about this too. A Venus in Aries in the first house, which would also mean your rising sign is in the first house as well, and it's in Aries. You tend to take the lead when it comes to romantic partnerships. And that lead you take is in a fiery, aggressive, and and passionate way, right? Because there's a driving element of self to your loving relationship. So in relation to someone else, that Venus in house one in Aries is kind of powerful with that powerful leadership potential. Very different than just looking at Venus in Aries in the first house as who you love, right? You also, your Venus in Aries indicates that uh, there is a love of leadership in another person. There's a love of passion in another person. You having that in the first house equates to how yourself will show up when a partnership comes in that romantic scenario. So it's one thing to say, this is what I love. And it's another thing to say who I am 
in that scenario. And that's where the houses come up. Where are we going to see this person's passionate energy? Well, we, we are going to see this passionate leadership energy in how they think about themselves, how they, um, how they are in romantic dynamics, very self-driven, uh, maybe a little self-serving. And so that's important to think about. Um, a Venus in Aries in the first house, uh, there is also a constant need to feel independent and individualized in romantic scenarios or in aesthetics and beauty and for other people to feel the same. So anything that has to do with your one-on-one relationships and who you are, and <clears throat> excuse me, in one of those settings, in this example, is very, very kind of leading the charge. So let's do a quick review of the houses so you get some under, uh, more clarity about what we're talking about. So house one, as we saw, represents the self, selfhood, a person's image, appearance, how they are represented and present themselves in group settings and teams. So now it's not just about you and no one else is looking, it's about you and everybody's looking. House two represents money, jobs, day-to-day jobs and earning potential, job transitions, a sense of security, how one attains security, what security looks like between them and other people. House three represents sibling relationships, so how you interact with siblings or those you find uh, in group settings like childhood play scenarios, not really adult relationships, but childhood relationships. And also how you communicate with others, your communication style, your ability to speak your truth and speak your voice when you need to be heard. And that can be in situations regarding work, in your family life, in your relationships. Okay, the planet that sits in that spot. Okay, if Uranus sits in your second, or excuse me, if Uranus sits in your third house, when you communicate with your siblings, the communication can be very erratic. It can be very changeable. It can change over time. It can be expansive and or isolating. So now the planet, the, the, the changing aspect, the transitional aspect of the planet Uranus, you're going to see that transitional uh, aspect as it relates to these groups of people and these types of situations in your life. House four is domestic life and the home. So if Venus sits in house four, when you think about love and romance, you might be a self-proclaimed homebody. And your love of your home, you may find the most loving part of a partnership or a romance. You're, you, might be the, you might be the person that wants someone to visit your home on a first date. Because romance now is centered around home and domestic life. And so you'll see your Venus energy show up like the person that has the most beautiful home ever. That's their Venus energy showing up in their home life. In the coziness. It shows up more there. How people act in their home will be really important if someone has, you know, for instance, Venus in house four. If someone has a planet like Uranus in house four, this person could be like a hoarder. Uh, they'll have some eccentricities with their home, right? It could be anything. They may have like wacky art, sculptures that don't make any sense, weird plants hanging from the ceiling that don't make any sense. Their coffee table might be at an angle for absolutely no reason except it, it, it makes sense to them and they like it because it's different and it's weird. That's Uranus in the fourth house, right? So again, planetary what's, where are you going to see it based on the house? House five is recreation romance, dating, so not long-term partnerships, but just the people that you will date. Creativity, it's also the house of children, birth of children, small children, childlike. Uh, This will give you a good indication on, on people's childhood. When I look at house five, it will give me uh, some understanding on 
uh, whether or not there were powerful themes in their childhood that will resonate with them throughout their lifetime. There are some people whose childhood really set the course for the rest of their life. And some individuals where their childhood was, their, their relationship to their childhood was pretty regular. And it's their adult experiences that they will take with them forever, right? There may be key childhood memories that they forget or key childhood memories that serve as the basis for every single other action that happens in their life. That depends on what planets and how heavily dominated house five is in a person, in a person's chart. House six represents work environment, duties or responsibilities, someone's health, their relationship to their fitness, what's important to them in terms of routines. If they are uh, someone where routines, the professional environment they work in, the quality of their work environment, not just the job that they do to make money, which is in house two, or their overall career and fame, that's in house 10. This is about the kinds of entities, whether they like to work in a fast-paced environment, whether they like an environment that's more routine and structured, uh, whether they are really good at setting routines and habits for themselves, or whether they absolutely suck at that, uh, or health, right? So what are their um, contributing forces to their health? What's some things they need to watch out for? Who or what impacts their health more than others? That's something, that's house six. House seven, that's the marriage house. (laughs) That's the house that rules partnerships, relationships, contracts, anything that has a long-term potential between one or more people, okay? Um, uh, Wills, right? Like like that kind of stuff. Um, Contracts of any kind, marriage. And that's why marriage sits here because it's a marriage contract. It's partnership. So the longevity of partnerships, the kind of partnerships exist in house seven. House eight is the base core need. So if this was like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, uh, house eight is all about the basic needs of that person. It's also a house that rules sex and sexuality. It rules birth and death, what you inherit, what you lose, what you gain in life. It's a very Plutonian house. It is naturally ruled by, regardless, and if we're not looking at it from your exact birth time, the natural ruler of house eight is Scorpio. And the natural ruler of Scorpio, the modern ruler of Scorpio rather is Pluto. And so this is everything that you would think about as Plutonian energy even a little bit of Mars energy, passion and power with that. Uh, That is also the energy that naturally sits in the eighth house. So when you have a planet there, that planet that's in that house, that, that planet's energy, right, will show you, again, where in these aspects of life, birth, death, joint resources, basic needs as a human being, sex and sexuality, where we will see that planet and its energy show up in any of those kinds of places that involve other people. House nine is travel, higher learning, life, spirituality is governed in house nine. So if you're trying to find your spiritual path or trying to figure out what the hell that means, if I'm trying to learn more about a person's kind of their spiritual alchemy, what they, what they grew up with, what they'll be interested in, Someone who has Uranus is a good example for this because someone who has uh, Uranus in house nine is, a, is likely a person who's open to many different types of spirituality. There may be changes in the spiritual attributes that this person, you know, they may have grown up a Christian, but later in their life turn into uh, someone who studies the occult or someone who changes religions altogether and is equally committed to that. So it gives uh, us an understanding as astrologers on where this person finds inspiration. House nine is also the house that governs inspiration. What inspires that person in this life? House nine is a great place to go to if you ever feel stuck and you're like, I don't know what's going to bring me joy. Check your house nine. 
and it'll give you some indication of maybe something you're not tapping into, that you're not flexing into in that house. House 10 represents career, prestige, and reputation. So house two and house 10 get confused a lot because house two is about money, really. Your ability to gain and lose money. And so jobs and day-to-day jobs and, 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 that, and that kind of thing, um, if you, if you want to know how frequently or readily uh, you'll actually keep a job, that's house, that, that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's house two, right? House 10 is your overall career, your life's mission, your purpose, your prestige, promotions, accolades, leadership potential, your ultimate driver, that's house 10. House 11 is friendships, associations, ideals, causes, what's important to you in the greater scheme of the world. And house 12 is the subconscious, the house of secrets, the house of hidden motivations, the house of dreams and illusions, the house of magic, and psychic capabilities and visions. So when you look at all of these houses, right? There's one thing I want you to note. If you look at house one, two, three, four, and five, and six, those houses tend to be very much internally focused. Day-to-day communications, how you show up, how people look at you. how you interact with kids and family and romance and uh, basic work environment, basic responsibilities. They're the day-to-day things. Houses 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 are more externally focused. They're broader. The themes go beyond your day-to-day experiences and the themes can govern your lifestyle. It can govern the way in which your life moves. So as opposed to, so house two and house 10 are really good examples of that. House two is just day-to-day job. There's nothing meaningful about it. It's just simply jobs and your ability to earn money. House 10 is your career. It's when your job becomes more than just a job and drives into your purpose and drives into your core skill, the value you add to the world through your work. And so one is more kind of immediate, my line of sight, and the other is broader across your lifetime, right? It, it may take five to you know, 10, 15 years to really establish a career, but job and a job change can uh, happen more readily. And so, you know, the difference between house five and house seven, house five is, you know, your dating capacity. It's just the basic relationships and how you, how romance, you know, and, and the energies that's there that govern romantic potential in your romantic, whether or not you're um, in a great romantic season or whether you didn't hit a drought. House seven, however, is more structured, has more, um, has an energy where your partnerships are now the primary focus. They're not just passing fancies the partnerships in house seven govern multiple years of your life, govern significant parts of your life. And so you, from one to six, there's a lot of movement and a lot of change. Seven through 12, deeper concepts, long, longer term things that you will see over time. So take a look, right? Take a take a look at your chart right now and see what part of the chart is dominated with the most planets. See if your chart is bottom heavy or top heavy. See if your chart is Eastern heavy, so the, the uh, left side of the chart, or Western heavy, the right side of the chart. If you have more planets 
that reside in houses one through six. I would envision that you are a kind of person that defines their life through things like your home, your family, your kids, relationships, all kinds of relationships matter to you. You're, some per- you're a person that's maybe been working the same job or the same kind of job for, you know, 12 or 13 years. It's not your career, but it's the place where you make your money. And so making your money is the most important. It's all about earning a living. It's not about prestige. It's, not, it's all about, you know, uh, your income raising is more important to you than a promotion. You're not really interested in the title or in the leadership, but you are interested in being able to earn greater income over time. You're someone that I would think is very, very good with routine and routines are important. You could be equally really bad with routines depending on what planets are around and what's aspecting what. But the goal is is that if if your planets are sitting in, mostly sitting in, houses one through six, it's the day-to-day experiences that are truly magnified in your life. Conversely, if your, if your chart dominates houses seven through 12, your life is most likely governed by these larger experiences and larger depths of life, right? If you have a lot of planets, let's say in house seven, casually dating someone probably is not a focal point for you. You are someone who may long for partnership and seek partnership and even the most mundane dating scenarios, like just going with the flow and taking it easy and letting things happen how they happen is probably not your shit. (laughs) You are not interested. (laughs) You wanted to date for things that's real and for things that actually mean a lot to you. Um, If you have a lot of uh, planets in house seven, or excuse me, house eight, sex and sexuality matter a lot to you. Birth and death are probably events that mark time for you. This is when I gained this person, this is when I lost this person. Sex and sexuality is, is something that governs a good part of your existence with people. Depending on what's there, if it's, if it's positively aspected, hell yeah. If it's negatively impacted, maybe sex and sexuality is something that you struggle with and understanding who you are as a sexual being. But it is a focal point in your life as opposed to just simply having dates or having you know mild relationships. So again, it's, it's internal versus external and broader. So knowing the density of your, of your chart will also give you an indication of certain areas that you don't really put a lot of attention to because for you, that's not the, the stuff that really matters. And that can be in the first six or in the, in the first seven or the last seven. If your chart is split top and bottom, then that can, that can indicate a duality to where your mundane world and your longer, broader objectives and achievements matter to you, depending on what houses we're talking about. And so then the, the question there would be what aspects are at play and how many of them are there. And that'll give you some understanding of where the emphasis is in your life. And that, my friends, those are your houses. Those are your houses. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Now, we are at the last part. We are at the last section. After this, we will talk about the why, and that's when we talk about aspects. And so aspects are the relationships between planets, in their houses, as they relate to other planets in other houses, as they relate to other planets within the same house. Because if you're looking at your birth chart, you may have two or more planets in a given house. And so what does that mean? 
Or you might have your sun sign opposing your Pluto. What the hell does that mean if they're opposite of each other? If you pulled a birth chart from astro.com, you're going to see all these lines everywhere. And so that's the why, right? That's the integration between planets and each other because they're not just in these places in the sky by themselves. They're also influencing, right? That, that, that Venus and Aries example that I keep using is influencing other planets and other places. And now that kind of, that makes it real sexy because you're, you're, you may have multiple places impacted at the same time and multiple ways of using energy to its greatest potential because they're not siloed. They are all impacting each other at some point. And that's up next when we get to the why. So let's look at the why, which are the aspects. Now, I place aspects as the why because they show us how these various planets interact with each other. These interactions color the intensity, the motivators, motivations rather, and challenges that come with living this blueprint. So you have your circular birth chart, your 12 houses, planets within or not within those houses, tied to a particular energetic expression, i.e. the sign. So if you look at your birth chart, right, you'll also see on top of that some crazy lines and different colors representing the spatial differences between one planetary placement and another. How all these planets interact matter in predicting where you will have harmony or conversely where you will need to put additional focus. Now some aspects are easy and naturally harmonious. Those are called conjunctions, sextiles, or trines. Others may be difficult and need a bit of effort in order to create that alchemy and bring them to a harmonious place. And that includes, those include, squares and oppositions. However, even a bad aspect can produce positive results if you know how to flex it right. And seemingly good aspects can really result in nothing um, because it makes the energy kind of lazy. So it's important to look at aspects uh, as the underlining energy that you ultimately control. For example, if that same person with a Venus in Aries in the first house opposes Mars in the seventh house, this person may struggle with moving too quickly into love affairs or becoming preoccupied with partnership with, uh, in moving too quickly into love affairs, um, moving too quickly into uh, marriages, right? They may miss issues with potential unions or future partnerships. Knowing that you have this tendency, if this is an aspect in your birth chart, it can help with developing conscious remedies uh, so that you move gracefully through love in spite of those default mechanisms. So if you know that you, you got something like this in your chart, that doesn't mean you can't uh, change it a little bit. Doesn't mean you can't work around it. To really look at um, aspects, I did this with my friend the other day. I love a house party analogy, right? Because when you think about aspects, it really speaks to how planets influence each other just as people can energetic influence our mood in social situations, the social scenarios, scenarios like a party. So for the sake of, of moving through the aspects and talking about them, I want you to imagine that the planets in their respective signs are at a house party, right? The central planet, so pick any one of your planets in your birth chart. In this case, I'll use Venus because I've been using Venus for all of these segments. I'll use the Venus and Aries example. Um, that planet right, is walking into a party, walking into her friend's home where this house party lives. Right? And that planet right, is positioned at the front door. And all 
on that planet are other planets that are positioned in one of five distinct areas, right? All based on the fact that that planet, in this case, again, I'm going to use Venus, is positioned at the front door, at the, at the, at the front of the room. So if you're looking at it from that point of view and you are the person at the front door of the room, you just walked in, right? That planet is at the front of the chart. It just walked in. And so from that position, where is everyone else in that party? Where is everyone else, every other planet in that birth chart? The five distinct areas represent that spatial distance. It can be measured in signs. So sometimes you'll read and say, this planet is two signs away from this planet, AKA this planet is two houses away from this planet. Or in degrees, this planet is 60 degrees away from another planet or 120 degrees away from another planet. I will, I will utilize both just to give you some greater context. So again, it can be measured in signs, it can be measured in degrees. And each of those placements represents a different energy, just like someone closer or farther away from you at a party represents a different kind of influence. If a planet is 60 degrees or two signs apart from another planet, it will change the way you interact versus whether a planet is in the same sign or a few degrees away from you, right? A few degrees away from that other planet. Just like someone who is next to you at a party while you're dancing will have a very different effect than someone amping you up from the bar across the room. It's very, very different. And of course, because we're talking energy here, and we talked a lot about energy, a lot about elements, and the part about the signs, it also depends on whether or not you know this person and you like this person. <laughs> Just like whether planets can recognize each other or whether they share the same energy or they share the same drive in the chart. So it's all the same thing. That's why I love this example. So using Venus, right, the planet of love as a point of view, uh, who is at the front door of this party. Um, let's talk aspects. If Venus is at the doorway and is sharing the same space as another planet, aka the same sign, the relationship is called a conjunction. Right? If you walk into a party with your homie, you two are conjunct each other. It is as if they arrived together, right? That's how it looks in the birth chart. Like when you were born, both of these planets arrived together in that part of your birth cycle. And so they are in very close range of each other. They may even share the same degrees of each other, right? This position in your zodiac, um, this position in your birth chart literally blends the energies together like a well-balanced margarita. Yum, yum, yum. However, there is also a tendency for them to blend a little too well, right? So it's like that friend you got that's literally exactly like you, um, creating too much of a good thing for maybe everybody else in the room. And so this can make it harder uh, when you have planets that are conjunct together. It makes it harder to pivot outside of that energy when you need to, right? So for instance, if you have, uh, forget the house, right? If you have Venus, Mars and your moon conjunct. So they're all next to each other. All three of them planets walked up in that party at the same time. It will be very difficult to disentangle the drivers for love and emotions for that person, right? Because they're conjunct, they share the same sign. They're right next to each other. So the way that person feels, the way that person acts, and the way that person views other people from the space of love and romance will pretty much have the same energy to it. So on one hand, that looks dope because that's, that's, it makes life consistent. There's no, um, there's no kind of like split personality when it comes to like how this person loves versus what this person likes. But at the same time, if, that person needs to pivot a little bit differently for the person they love or for the person they like, it might be a little hard for that because it's all tied in the same space. Another position, right? If a planet is positioned two signs or houses away 
from another planet. So Venus is, is at the front of that party and there is another planet that's positioned two signs away, okay? That, that person that might be not across the room, but slightly across the room, maybe up against the wall real quick at the party, right? You see somebody, you know, you're like, okay, whatever. Um, the, the, the planet, um, the planetary alignment is called the sextile, right? It's an easy, cooperative, unobstructed relationship. It's all good. The planets don't oppose each other or rub up against each other, right? Because that rubbing up against each other, that's that conjunction. They're not rubbing up against each other. They are at a safe distance to smile at each other from the other side of the cosmos. It's a gentle kind of relationship. Planets that are sextile to each other are supportive uh, to each other's needs. They can resolve their internal differences easily because they ain't really got no beef. The sextiles in your chart uh, reflect areas of your life that might be fairly easy and low stress. They're just uninhibited. It's, it's almost the same as having an empty house. It's like there's, it's, it's okay. It's, the energy is all love. You may not know that person really well, but you know every time you see them, you have a good time. And that's how planets are when they're in a sextile relationship, right? Um, the, the, success, the successes of that relationship come naturally. Uh, and even if they're issues, right? Because even if the planets don't necessarily get along or don't have the same drivers. Like let's say Venus is in a sextile relationship to Uranus. They're really not the same. They, they kind of have like two opposing, like, you know, Venus energy in love is, is pretty chill and Uranus energy is never chill. But in that relationship, their differences are, are smooth, right? They don't they're okay. <laughs> I'm saying they're not in peace with each other. They're all right, um, and they can resolve these things with really little effort, right? So it's that person that that you may not know enough. You you don't you're not close enough to them to know if you hate them or you love them. You just know that every time you see each other sparingly throughout the year at a party, they're dope to be around, and that's kind of that's what a sextile relationship looks like in a natal chart. Then you have the position of a planet that is three signs away from the from the the point of view planet you're using so again if i'm using venus if venus is three signs away from another planet or 90 degrees apart from another planet that equals a square and a square <laughs> squares are fascinating right like like planets who square up right like squares are squares are interesting because the planets don't really care for each other. That, that's the best way I can put it in a human girl. They don't really, they're not close enough to be irritated with each other, but they don't really care for each other very much, right? And they don't really know each other really well. They don't share a lot of the same things. They don't share um, a great amount, uh, but they have some base qualities, right? Like they're both fixed or they're both mutable or they're both uh, cardinal, but they don't really rock with each other like that, right? So there may be some some similarities, but not enough to build a relationship and not enough to even be cordial. So the <laughs> the best example I can give for this is um, Mariah Carey when she was on Watch What Happens Live, Live with Andy Cohen, and he asked her about Jennifer Lopez, and she said, I don't know her. <laughs> like, that is like the best relationship. That's the best way I can describe that, when she's like, I don't know her, right? And so... Um, Obviously, they're both entertainers, right? That's the only thing that they share, okay? One sings better than, than the other. One has been around longer than the other. One is a way better dancer than the other. So they don't really have a lot in common, but they are entertainers. And that's pretty much the only thing. So it's, it's, it's an acknowledgement that we both exist, but we don't really rock with each other like that. And that's a square. And so um, for this reason, planets in squares, and if that's the dynamic, for this reason, they're not supportive of each other. Rather, they agitate each other on some way. Okay, so think, you know, back Mariah Carey, Jennifer Lopez, they don't really like each other like that. They agitate each other, uh, agitate each other's core qualities, meaning um, creating stress, right? Creating tension and power struggles where one would not notably exist. Uh, compromise over stubbornness is the magic that is necessary for these two planets to work in harmony with each other. What squares do is that they reveal kind of the conflicting parts <clears throat> of your nature and they can be resolved, right? It's not like, okay, I was born with a bunch of squares in my chart, so things suck. It's 
these are the areas of your life or the areas of your chart that you can resolve through self-reflection, through discipline, through personal growth work, right? So if you have, let's say your moon uh, is square, uh, Uranus in the in the ninth house, right? So we'll leave Uranus in that, in that house of spirituality and we'll put the moon, let's say, we'll I don't know, we'll put the moon, we'll put the moon in the sixth house or we'll put the moon um, in the seventh house, right? Your emotional expression around spirituality may be flawed, right? What your spiritual upbringing has brought into your life Um, There may have been some issues with your alliance to faith or the religious uh, upbringing that you have, excuse me, but finding a new path to religious enlightenment might be a bit tough, right? Um, Finding what inspires you, what deeply taps into your emotional soul might be difficult, right? So, um, and and so deep reflection and and time and maybe trying a bunch of different shit to find what works for you is uh, a part that you would have to play, but a square requires work, right? The, the, the square requires energy, alchemy, alchemy integration. Um, it requires work. And so that, that's where you have it, okay? Squares also have a way of, of activating parts of your personality that's dominant um, and doing so, or, or, or that dormant rather, activating parts of, your, of yourself that's dormant so that you have better outcomes. Um, because it can reflect where you are out of balance in your life. So that ability to compromise, that ability to let go of certain things, the ability to find the best parts of those energies, the ability, you know, to stop being so stubborn about something, uh, that, that's what squares challenge us to do. And so it's important to, to understand those parts of your chart and not to fear them. Uh, sometimes squares can bring out the best thing. Sometimes squares can hinder things. Sometimes squares, uh, depending on what planets are squaring uh, each other, it can make you slow down in areas that you have felt completely out of control of. So squares are your friends. They're your friends, even if you don't know them. So if you don't know what clip I'm talking about, go ahead and research Mariah Carey. And in quotation marks, quotation marks put, you don't know her because that, that's a square. That's a square for me. Uh, now let's get to something a little bit more, um, a little bit happier, right? Trines. Ooh, trines. Trines are the party equivalent of that friend who amps you up, screams your name across the room, and runs right to you when y'all song come on. That's a trine. Trines are when two planets... Uh, are four signs or 120 degrees apart. Planets form trines when uh, they are in the same element, right? So squares, planets are in the same function, but they don't have nothing else. (laughs) Nothing else that aligns them. When planets are in the same element, right? When a fire meets a fire, when an earth meets an earth, when an air meets an air, when a a water meets a water. I have this, uh, you know, this thing where it's like... um, Fire signs, I've seen fire signs instantly gravitate towards each other. You see air signs instantly get each other. Um, two Sagittarius's, duality in Sagittarius's where Sagittarians can date themselves and be happily in friendships with themselves. Like that is like a trying kind of experience, right? And so when the planets are in the same element, whether it's earth, water, fire, or air, it's a dope relationship. The planets amp each other up. They are each other's cheerleaders. They are each other's activators. If you, um, if you are a person that's feeling kind of in a slump about something, you don't quite, quite feel like yourself, find the person who has a lot of your element in their chart or who has a lot, um, um, it's a sun sign of your, of your same element or, um, same sun sign as you, or has, you know, if you're a Pisces, and you, and you need some, some help struggling with the darker parts of your Pisces nature, find another Pisces or find another water sign, okay? Um, because that, that's where your trine energy comes in. So for example, if Venus in Aries makes a trine to, I'll use Uranus again, Uranus in Sagittarius, the attraction Venus has to others is passionate, it's wild, it's interesting. Uranus is like, go ahead, girl, be great. Be great, date everybody, 
screw everybody, love everything. It's fine, it's fine, it's all fine. You are fine, you are wonderful, you are fine. And Venus is like, yes, I am, I'm great. And she is more likely to take risk in love, attract people from all walks of life, and love is always an adventure for her. It's not scary. That's a kind of dynamic where you have two planets that really aren't aligned to each other, but the signs that they in are, you know, Bonnie and Clyde. They are they are together. They they understand each other. And so the sign energy makes those planets come together in a way that on the surface doesn't make any sense. Right? Uh, Venus likes to enjoy and like engulf herself in love and Uranus is like nah let's move let's change and so in this case the signs help the two planets work together in ways that on the surface wouldn't even seem possible right and so trines are the the highest vibe the highest state of synchronicity a trine reveals luck and opportunity that comes without much effort so they're different, they're, they're, they're different than sex times, kind of like, like a conjunction in a sextile had a baby and made a trine, right? Because the energy, it is a, there is a danger for too much, right? Sometimes you, you, maybe that dating life can be a little too wild with this particular aspect, but um, for the most part, it can help with natural talents. It can help, again, make, make things seemingly opposite of each other all the more possible. Uh, and that so find the trines in your chart because the trines if you've been neglecting parts of yourself or if there's something you feel like you're missing go where the trines are in your chart because that will help you see okay where are your natural talents where's your natural charisma where's your natural way of being in the world it'll help you define kind of what areas of your life you just need to let be maybe you are forcing some shit in a place, maybe you are forcing yourself to be something that you're not. Because the trines are telling you, no, this is the place you need to be, this is what's up. So this person with the Venus in Aries that's trying the Uranus and Sagittarius, if this person consistently says, no, I have to just date this one type and I have to just love this one type, Uranus is like, what, what, no, that's not, no, no, no. I would envision that this person would feel very restricted by their dating life and wouldn't feel like they they were doing they would feel kind of out of alignment because they're not there's a whole big ass trying in their chart telling them to expand their love potential and expand the types of love that they have have a long distance relationship you know meet somebody in paris like date that person from a different religion than you like like do some different kind of shit instead of limiting yourself and results will be different and most likely better because this person will be flexing into this part of their chart so find your trines babes because there's magic there if you didn't know already and lastly in the world of planetary relationships in this big ass party Okay, we got the people that's standing next to you. We got the people off to the side that you're cool with. We got the people that are off to the other side that you ain't that really cool with. Like you don't like they, you don't like how they rock. Then you got the people that literally you came to the party for. Like they are the people you, they are the reason why when somebody asked you or when you ask people who all gonna be there, you heard these people's names and you're like, yes, excellent. We also have <laughs> the people that you don't like, period. You know them. You don't like them, and those are your oppositions, right? Those are the people that are staring you dead in the eye <laughs> at the party from the other side of the room, right? And so when planets have oppositions, they are six signs or 180 degrees apart from another planet. So if Venus is six signs away from a, a planet, then, then she is an opposition of that planet, right? Um, at a party, Right? Again, that's that person that's staring you across from you dead in the eye. And that's that person that's going to come to you from the other side of the room. They're not going to be like a square who's just going to sit off to the side and like, I right, whatever. They're going to be the person that challenges you. Right? They're the person that challenges you. And on the surface, you think you don't like them. Right? Uh, and that's what planets, that's the relationship planets have with each other. It's the look. I call that that squaring, I call that opposition, the look before the dance battle, before the show, before the showdown. Um, 
it, it's it's that look if you've ever seen Zoolander it's that look like before the walk-off like it is it is the look it is the position of like dominance right you may think a beef is about to ensue but unlike squares right oppositions have an opportunity to come together you think you don't like this person you think they're not your style but in fact they actually have the one thing that you need this is like a you know what is it the the enemy or the the friend of my enemy is my friend or whatever that quote is but these people are people that um, maybe have had a bad rap but in reality they actually have a gift to share with you right and so oppositions enable a creative tension that can be blended together for some really powerful shit so for example using venus again if that venus in aries opposes saturn in libra on the surface this can put boundaries uh, against Venus, who simply wants to live her life and live her life to her heart's intent. And she wants to lead and she wants to go when she wants to go. She wants to move when she wants to move. Aries is governed by Mars. It's a natural rulership. She wants to be out. And Saturn is like, hold your fucking horses and chill out. And so there's an opposition there. However, if Venus holds her fucking horses and sit down with Venus, with Saturn, and and hears what Saturn has to say. Saturn can show Venus that she can take calculated risk in love. And that with those risks, with defining what she actually wants out of love, she is able to choose partners, maybe more wisely, that enable her to live her fullest potential with someone worthy of her time because Saturn also governs that which is worthy. What's the boundary? Where are the boundaries that I can create that enable me to thrive, that enable me to flourish, right? It's not about being, you know, Venus and Aries can kind of have a lover of all trades, um, like a jack of all trades, but a master at none, right? And so Saturn helps this Venus and this Venus placement to find mastery, so if you, uh, if you have this placement or a similar placement, the goal in this setting is to learn how to take the best parts of Saturn to amplify what is already beautiful about your Venus. And so oppositions, if we can learn to take the best parts of, of each planet and put them together, that opposition actually can help unstick us from certain patterns and habits that we were born into. That's why they're so important. They can help you break away from things. Interestingly enough, they can help show you where you might benefit from additional help. So oppositions, if if you, what's, who generally, if there's a beef, right? Every beef requires a peacemaker. And in your chart, if there is a beef, if there's a creative tension, it can show you in your life, okay, this is the area, love wisdom, spirituality, career, work, wherever the opposition exists can show you where you actually might need some help, where you may actually need some assistance. And with that assistance, find your goal and attain your goal and make things work. And that peacemaker in your life can be a lot of different things. Maybe in this, maybe in this situation, a person can't naturally find boundaries in love And so that may be what they see a spiritual counselor for, a therapist for, or they go to a seminar, they do a retreat, they figure out what is inhibiting them from being more mindful about the people they choose in their life. And so instead of trying to work it out themselves, they find a different avenue of learning or expansion to do it. So this also shows you where you know, you naturally, you actually got to put some focus in. It's not, it's not just going to resolve themselves. You actually need some help, right? Um, and you, and the best way forward is to integrate these challenges as best you can. And so there are, there are many, there are many other aspects, right? There are Quincuxes and semi-sextiles and septiles. There's a lot of different variations of aspects where it dives deeper. If they're 45 degrees away, 
However, all of them are derivatives of the base five. So understanding these uh, like five core kind of um, attributes will help the other types become a breeze. And that concludes part two, my beloveds. Understanding the cosmic blueprint that is your birth chart. In this episode, we learned about the houses, which are the where. Where in your life are these planetary energies going to show up? And lastly, the why. Why are certain things more intense than others in your life based on how these planets interact with each other? I hope these episodes of the Cosmic Blueprint are helpful to you as you navigate your journey throughout the year. Please feel free to loop back to them when you need to, when you're like, what did Shabazz say about that shit again? And refer to them as often as you like, as 2020 is a huge astrological year, and it is important to have that understanding to really make the most out of your birth chart and really utilize it as an aspect of planning and thinking through where you wanna focus on in your life. Even when you think about your 2020 visioning, there may be some oppositions and and aspects or particular houses that you want to actually pay attention to or if you've done that exercise already look at your chart now and see hmm are am i feeling the stress of a opposition or of a square all along and i may not have had the words to claim it and to name it and claim it but i got them now and here they are Uh, and now they're showing up in my vision board or they're showing up in my intention setting, that may not be a coincidence. So feel free to utilize this in the broader channels of your life to be helpful and to navigate the energies where you feel they'll they'll make the most impact in your world. As always, my darlings, I adore you. I hope that this is helpful for you. And of course, I'll have more educational episodes throughout the year to give you some greater insight into what the hell is happening in the sky and why it matters to you. As always, be kind and good to the universe and the universe will be kind and good to you. And enjoy. Till next episode. Bye.